everyone, and welcome to another episode of Failure Friday, where we talk about how failure has shaped us as individuals, shaped us in our careers as women, mothers, sisters, brothers, cousins. And it's been such a rewarding process starting this creative venture of mine. And we're finally starting to get people that I don't have personal, in-person, physical relationships with, but that I'm connecting with on social media, so it feels like I know them. Because I, I feel like I talk to Ruth anytime I post something. <laughs> Today we have Ruth Agveloso. She is from Women's Empowerment, Women's Empowerment Group. She's a financial coach who focuses on overachieving moms. I love that on your page. I think you said high achieving moms. I put the overachieving moms because <laughs> I think as moms, we try to do a little too much sometimes. But she focuses on high achieving, overachieving moms who need guidance, education, and support building wealth. And I love that one of my questions is how long did it take you to find that niche? Because I think people shy away from niches so much and you just went for it. Like not even on your Instagram, if you click the link on your Instagram, it says it again. So you've pretty def you defined that really well. But why don't you give us a little bit more about you, Ruth? That was very vague. There's more <laughs> to Ruth than just that. Yes, definitely. Um, and sorry, my earphones keep falling out. But yes, you were right. Uh, my name is Ruth Agboloso from Women's Financial Empowerment Group. And I help high achieving moms <laughs> with their finances. But aside from that, I am a mom. I'm a single mom, um, recently divorced. Um, and I'm also a caregiver for my mom. So I have my hands full. Whoa. I got a lot going on. And as you rightly said, as moms, sometimes we tend to do the most. <laughs> so I could totally, I could totally um, own up to that overachieving part because sometimes we do, but we feel like we have to at times. It's not a matter of a choice. We don't feel like we have a choice sometimes. We feel like we have to. So um, that's the crux of it. I'm a mom, a caregiver, and also a financial coach. And to answer your question about the niche, I mean, that came recently um, based on my exposure to different women on Instagram, on Facebook, and other places. Um, it was really hard. So like you said, like it, it's really hard to niche down. And I think we'll get more into that as, you know, as um, I share my failure. <laughs> For, wait, I just got to stop you right there. I've been Sorry. saying niche this whole time. It's niche? Some people say niche and some people say niche. Um, tomato, tomato, as far as I'm concerned. Okay, as long as it's, <laughs> as long as it's a tomato, tomato. Is, that, is it niche or niche? I think Man. it's both. I, I've heard both, so I just say. I I've just been say going around way know. too long saying niche. If that was your <laughs> kind gesture, that my stomach, my stomach sank when you said that. I was like, oh my god, I've been going around years. Google it that. and have Google say it to you. I can't do it right now. Later. I tried doing that with your last name. <laughs> I literally tried before you sent that video. Oh I tried gosh, doing that. No, with you didn't. No. Yeah, because did I was successful. like. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It, nothing. It wasn't successful. Sorry, back on track. Ruth, what do you no think is the purpose of failure and all the emotions that come with it? Not just for you, just in general. If you're giving advice to your daughter, what is the purpose of failure? It grows you as a person. Um, it's a it's a stepping stone. Without failure, you won't look for answers. You won't be curious about things. So failure actually is essential to anything that you want to do in life. That's how you learn. How do you cope with failure now compared to how you coped with failure 10, 15 years ago? <laughs> That's a very good question. Um, I think it depends on what type of failure, but um, in general, I believe that I cope with failure much better now. I'm learning how to accept myself more. Notice I said learning because it's a process, you know, um, you don't just learn and then you, you arrive. It's like a process of getting better and better at it. So now when I mess up, I'm able to say, well, at least you tried, you know, at least you made an effort. 
you know, things like that. Even if I mess up the dinner, it's like, well, I tried. I thought that was going to work out. <laughs> so, um, so definitely showing myself some grace, more grace is what I've learned to do over the years. Definitely night and day from 10 years ago. I'm learning that now. I definitely think that it is a process. Um, I'm not perfect at it. I don't think I'll ever be perfect at it because my, how I, I still see myself coping in the same way. Can you hear me? Yes, I hear you, my earpiece. And I'll keep poking until I'm the one that looks dumb for poking, if that makes sense. <laughs> so I'm in the process of, of learning how to walk away from things, but at the right time that it's okay to give things more energy if it serves you and the, the opposite party. But I think as a mom in particular, and finance, more people tend to take that road where they're walking away from something too soon because it's scary or because it's difficult. Rather than, people don't want to try to understand it. People are scared of looking dumb more than ever. Or maybe, maybe this has just always been the case and I'm just noticing it in my office, but people are scared to learn new things out of the fear of looking dumb. Are you seeing that in your practice? Yes, definitely. Um... I feel like it's not so heightened when people come to me when I'm meeting one-on-one -on -one with someone because I think by the time they come to me, I've already massaged them and made them feel comfortable and then all that stuff. But in general, you know, I see people going, um, do you mind if I ask you this question or um, stupid question, but, and, and I'm like, no, ask questions, like, feel free. Like, you're not born knowing everything, so, feel free, you know? And I, I, I don't like it, especially when women, you know, have that, oh, this is a stupid question, but, or, you know. Or they you don't say know sorry a lot. Know. Yes, you know women, we are just the sorry. I used to be that. <laughs> I used to say sorry so much, and I would get mad at myself. I'd be like, you just said that. You just said that. Yeah. <laughs> Stop. I yeah, think those are I'm good little exercises. Those are good little exercises to practice if you're talking about finance or if you're talking to your plumber or you're talking to your handyman you don't want to have to pay $300 for them to come out every time just trying to learn but that's exactly. me um when you think of failure in relation to yourself what's the first thing that comes to mind like what are we going to talk if you're okay with sharing that because I know the first thing that comes to my mind I'm not ready to talk about on camera yet but <laughs> what's the failure that you want to talk about <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, I think I've had so many failures. So it's funny when you, when you were looking for someone to do this and you talk, you know, have you failed or whatever? And I'm like, man, I got so many failures. I could write a book for you, but, uh, <laughs> so let me figure out which one I want to talk about. And yeah, there are some things that I'm not quite ready to really get into, but one of the things that I, I did want to discuss is failure in my business you know, some of the ways or, or like one particular way that I failed in my business that really cost me a lot, a lot, a lot. Let's go there. <laughs> so. so should I go ahead? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> well, um, when I first started out in my business a few years ago, I, you know, just had such a soft heart for everyone. And I knew that my mission was to educate women and to see more women become financially literate and make, um, be active in their finances, their financial planning. And so I met all these women, provided tons of value and had people messaging me and then they wanted to work with me. But I did not want to charge them. Like I, I had a very hard time charging them. And that was a mistake. <laughs> that, was, yeah. that was a failure on my part because here I was, you know, like offering empowering messages and helping these women to improve their finances. But I wasn't helping myself because I wasn't charging because I just felt, at first I thought, oh, it's just a noble thing because because I've been there and I just I just feel like, oh, you know, it's too much to charge this person or whatever. At first I just thought it was a noble thing. But then when I looked deeper, I realized that 
there was some financial trauma that I had to work through in order to get to the place where I felt comfortable charging. And, you know, so that, that's been a process for me. Just, I mean, you may think, I mean, people may think, oh, what's the big deal? You're just charging someone for your services. You're working, you should get paid. But I think being able to own your craft, owning the services that you provide, it's a different level from just going into a job and you know you expect a paycheck. So you're gonna get the paycheck or whatever. Um, there was a lot of emotions tied to asking for money that I wasn't even aware of, even though, yes, I did mindset work with my clients and things like that. But for me, I didn't realize that I still had a lot to work on with myself, being comfortable with the ask, you know, which is ridiculous because if you don't ask, no one's gonna volunteer to pay you. <laughs> so no. I got comfortable saying, hey, here's a book, here's a, resource whatever and having people pay for that but when it came to paying me for my coaching services i was like oh you know and especially if people are hesitant and i think part of that was i needed to get better with sales but i had to really deal with you know the root of the issue for me like where is that coming from like if you don't charge you know you're not gonna have money for uh, sorry, there's some flying in my face. <laughs> if you don't charge, you're not going to have money to take care of your family. So you're going to always have to work like another job or what have you. So you need to figure this out and deal with your issue. And so as I'm helping other people with their issues, I'm, I'm uncovering more of mine. And it's like, isn't that crazy? From, yeah. It's so beautiful. It like what you're saying is so true. <laughs> in so many different, in a lot of different businesses. And I think a lot of people, at least in my office, because I have a lot of small business owners that start off as side hustles and then they quit their job. Um, mm -hmm. Everyone, let's say 90 percentile, go through that. I call it a self-worth problem. I did it. Yes. I did it for the, I would say the first two years of my career was me constantly over-delivering, just like, meeting people on Saturdays at the mall when market's not open, why am I working? A prospect, not even a client, like a prospect, they haven't paid me anything. Or doing these financial plans that would take me eight hours to do and for free, and I'm giving it to them before they're a client, hoping that this will convince them to become a client. And just charging less fees in the industry average because I'm insecure about being young and a woman and I want people to trust me. I, I battled with that and it wasn't until I got burned really bad. And it just takes one life sucker and they're out there everywhere. <laughs> I think yes, me personally, I just go in and I'm, as I get older, which is kind of sad, I'm, 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 I go into every situation thinking that everyone's good until they show me otherwise. That might not be the best way to go through life because there's going to be people who take advantage of that. And it happened really bad where I spent, I think I had probably 20 to 30 hours invested in this prospect where they have me like doing all this stuff for them and they're making all these promises like they're gonna become a client and I'm doing all of this for them and then they just take it and ghosted me. And my business partner was like, this is not sustainable, like you can't do that. Like this is not, this is not good, good business what you're doing. It, it took that to be like, okay, it's time to, it's time to step it up, charge what you're worth. And I, I think the first time that someone says no because of your prices, or the first time that someone, you know, kind of disses your pricing, it hurts. <laughs> but then the first time you get a client who pays for it, the second time you get a client who pays for it, one, you're now not gonna fuck it up you're not gonna screw it up, right? You can't, you're charging them what you're worth. You have to give it your all. But then people tend to appreciate more what they pay for. That is true. I found that. I didn't think that. That is so true. But they do, they listen to you more, right? Cause they are, they're paying a lot of money for this. That was yep. me. <laughs> um, what emotional issues were you projecting onto your clients? If you don't mind me asking. I think I, I think I was more like 
mothering them, you know? Um, and that's not necessarily an emotion. I'm not really sure how to categorize it in terms of an emotion, but I guess, I guess I empathize with them so much that it was just too much, you know? And like you rightly said, you know, thinking that giving them a free pass or allowing them to say, oh, I'll pay you this time or something like that was helping them. Um, I thought that it was helping them, but it wasn't helping them because in the long run, they didn't take ownership of their financial situation because, you know, they got what they needed or wanted and then they kind of moved on and left me, <laughs> left me hanging. So I think that sense of just really caring and feeling like it was my duty to serve and love on these people that have been hurt, broken, um, lost things, all of that, just being overly empathetic and to the point of like mothering them. And I think I'm just, <laughs> I'm a mother at heart. I'll mother anybody, but I've definitely had to learn to stop doing that. But I went through a journey for myself, like you said before, knowing my worth. And it wasn't just a matter of charging. It was a general sense of things, you know, um, growing up and always feeling like less than, and, you know, just having really tough situations happen and trauma just left me a bit broken. And I didn't realize that it would spill over in that way. Um, so not being able to charge was so deep for me. And I, I just didn't even realize. I didn't realize that I didn't see myself as worthy. I didn't see myself as someone you would pay to do stuff. So I would constantly do things for free, constantly. And not that there's anything wrong with doing some things for free, but I just didn't hold people accountable um, and allowed them to use me. And it was, it was because of my own shortcomings. It was because of my own hurt, my own trauma that I was projecting onto other people in that way that, oh, because I felt like I wasn't good enough or I wasn't worthy, then I couldn't charge them and I wasn't worthy of getting their money. And it was just a cycle that kept repeating. And not until I realized what was going on um, was I able to stop it, but it, it went on for way too long. Like, and, and that's a big failure for me because here I was in a situation where I'm doing all this stuff for other people, but then I ended up really on the struggle bus because I'm like, you know, my business is, is growing in terms of having clients and people that rely on me, but it's not growing enough financially. And it was because I just was missing that piece of being firm. Here are my prices. This is what I offer, blah, blah, blah. As opposed to listening to the sob stories. And it was like, oh, I can't, you know, my heart can't bring me to, <laughs> so. Part yeah. therapist in, in this industry. You, you really are, when you're working with clients face-to-face, -face, you are, it helps to have a degree <laughs> in psychology because, I mean, a lot of my clients, we come in and we talk for 30 minutes, if that, about finances, and then the rest is about what is going on in their life. I would say that my personal failures have made me, interest interestingly enough, more equipped as an advisor. So like being in an abusive relationship made me so much more empathetic towards women who go through before. A lot of women get in abusive relationships, but I yes. don't think, I think it's impossible to understand it until, unless you've been in one. And that, I'm not trying to create exactly. like a secret club about, you know, abusive relationships, but like there's just a lack of empathy from people that have never, like I can't tell you how many times I heard, just leave, like why are you staying if it's that bad? So I like, <laughs> oh my God, just like, and from family, like if it was that bad, why'd you stay so long? Like it takes uh, that experience, I'm thankful for it now because it has, given me so much more power and one recognizing when people are being abused before they're calling it abuse 
and when they, I have a tissue box in my office that says it's okay to cry because so many people cry in my office when they come in for those first three appointments because I get wow. them to talk about that. So many of us have been through that. How have your relationships with money in abusive situations played into you being more impactful in your career? Definitely, like you said, um, allowing me to be more empathetic. Um, so I can touch a part of a woman specifically who has been through um, those hard situations, particularly abuse, um, because I've been there. I've, I've gone through financial abuse. I understand what it looks like. And I realize that a lot of people don't. They, they don't recognize it. They don't recognize financial trauma. So they're not able to interact with their clients in a way that makes it comfortable for them to express what's going on. They may think that, oh, you know, why is she doing this? This doesn't make any sense. Well, it makes sense to someone who has been through financial trauma to do things that to you, to the other person may seem like a stupid choice. But when you've been through financial trauma, some of your choices, it's a way of protecting yourself. It's a way of coping with your situation. So being that I've gone through similar things, I'm able to touch that part and speak to that part of a woman who has been through that and coach her through that situation so that she can come out on the other side and feel empowered to really own her money, you know, and be able to make decisions for herself when it comes to her finances. Because in a lot of cases that has been taken away in some way, shape or form. And, you know, a lot of people, they just don't understand. Like you said, you know, they think, <clears throat> oh, you're an adult, so you can make your own decisions, da, 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 da. But when you're in an abusive situation, you don't have that power. You know, either you've given up that power or you've had that power taken away from you. The fact is you don't have that power. And it's very difficult for you to now step into that, um, that position of being the person that's managing the money when you haven't done it for so long, for whatever amount of time. So I, I'm grateful. I am grateful that I've gone through the things that I've gone through because they have made me stronger. And I do believe that they've made me a better financial coach. Uh, I come from a therapy background. That is my degree is in um, counseling. And so, you know, being able to allow people that chance to express what they've gone through or express what they're currently going through, their fears around managing money, the different aspects of it um, has been really great. And just being able to see how something like financial abuse can be used to transform someone else's life, it's, it's a beautiful thing, it's beautiful. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Luckily, in my situation, we I was young, so I didn't have to deal with the financial abuse. But how I've seen it come to fruition in conversations I have, usually with prospects, who they come in, whether it's after a divorce, before it's a divorce. I've had situations where people come in together as a married couple, and then we have an appointment four months down the line, and... It's just the wife that comes in for an appointment and she just unloads all of this, which is the worst case scenario. Cause I'm like, okay, well it's a joint account. I can't legally do, I can only do so much here, but I've, every single situation has come down to them being like, I just feel so stupid. I don't even know what questions to ask. And that's why I haven't asked them because I'm this year, I'm this many years old and I don't know this. I'm this many years old and I'm not on, I don't even know where we bank. I'm this many years old and he says he opened up kit accounts for our kids college, but I don't know, I don't, I've been checking the mail looking for statements and there's nothing. I have, what I've done, you're the counselor with the counselor background. I, I just, we get a piece of paper out and we go, what? makes you feel stupid. Let's just make a list of I feel stupid about and let, we'll go from there. What do you do to kind of attack that wall? Well, like I say, um, before they even sit with me, I've already had developed a relationship with them either through social media or 
you know, maybe it's someone that I know or something like that, but just allowing them to know that for me personally, just letting them to know that this is a safe space that you can talk. And it is challenging when the person is with the partner or spouse and they don't feel comfortable sharing. Um, that is definitely a challenge, but I don't, I try my best to protect that person by not drawing out that stuff in front of the other person. Oh, no, no, Cause no, I no, don't no. want when, when they walk away, it's a even worse situation. But if they are alone, then I give them that space to talk about, you know, where they are in their situation. I give them tips. I give them all sorts of strateg strategies that they can work on on their own um, to make their situation better. So there are several, <laughs> there are several little things that I'll give them some resources and things like that, that, you know, I have to do it in a safe way because even though, you know, not every situation is quote unquote abusive in terms of like, you know, how people normally categorize abuse. However, um, when it comes to a financial, financial abuse, you know, it just gets worse and worse. And sometimes it leads to different other types of abuse. So you just want to be super careful with how you allow that person to offload and, um, you know, what, what resources you give them and stuff like that, because unfortunately, sometimes they have to be secretive with it and, you know, just do different things to protect themselves so that they don't end up in a worse situation. Yes, uh, sometimes, a couple times it's happened where I, I've, I've kind of looked at financial abuse so far in my experience, not being a professional in this, as almost like a leading indicator of abuse. And I've seen it in the league. I've seen it with wives who like, they'll get an allowance every week, but they don't have their own debit card. They're not, they don't have a bank account that they have access to. They, he just gives them cash or just gives them, you know, a certain amount of money. And she, they feel fine because, you know, they have this amount of money and it's more than enough, but they fail to recognize that red flag, right? Because they don't think of what if he stops? And then you have, then they have a child with him and that, or maybe two or three. And now you're really locked in and they, yeah. the person that's abusing the power knows that. So then it, at some point they feel comfortable moving to the, the more invasive level of abuse and they're all invasive, but like another level of abuse, because now that one doesn't give them, get them off the same way. They need more, they need to feel more powerful. Uh, it's really sad. I see it a lot. I think it's more disheartening when I see it in younger generations because part of my mind's like, oh, you know, it's more common in the older generations because the man was typically held all the power anyway and, and the women were just quiet and they took it and they cleaned. I see it so much more in the millennial generation. Just, oh yeah, I see it all the time. Um, what are some actionable tips or exercises that you're giving these people that viewers can can take from this? Well, I definitely suggest to women to have your own money in some shape or form, whether you have to do some sort of private side hustle or stash away some when you get your allowance or something, you know, make sure that you have some sort of money um, for yourself um, because who knows what the future is going to hold. And if you end up being on your own, and you don't have anything to your name, it'll just make your life that much harder. So it's important to think ahead, even though, you know, not saying you have to leave the person or anything like that, it depends on the situation, but it's always good to have that protection. You, it, I mean, it, it can't hurt to have some money for yourself. And so I always encourage people, and I, I might give them some little, you know, we might explore some ways of how they can get some money stashed away. Sometimes there are women's programs that can help women get some money that way. Sometimes there's relatives, there's friends, you know, whatever way they can do it. But it's important for them to have something on their own so that they're not 100% re relying on someone else because if that person takes it all away, then they're pretty much stuck. And um, 
it's not a it's not a good situation it's not a pretty situation the other thing is that aside from <clears throat> the possibility of the person taking the money away or whatever what if that person passes away or becomes you know hospitalized and they're incapacitated incapacitated right <laughs> i want to make sure i said that word right you know and they don't know where the money is you know how can they help themselves how can they continue to pay the bills and and do all of that stuff so it i encourage them if it's a situation where they can sit the partner down and i'll you know i think i have this worksheet that i go through of some ways that you could talk to your partner about money and you know try to get that out there that it's important for us both to be in charge of this money because if something happens to you we're going to be stuck, you know, if we don't know. And then you might get the pushback of, oh, nothing's going to happen to me because <laughs> I've heard that one before. But things things happen. And I think it's important for um, particularly women, because it happens to women more so than any than than men to have something of their own stashed away as as much as they can. Even a little goes someplace as opposed to having nothing at all but then if they're able to have those conversations and say hey you know i'd like to be more involved with managing our finances i think i'd love to help you it would be more of a help to you if i knew how to pay the bills or knew where the money was coming from to help pay the bills that way you don't have to do everything you know sometimes you gotta use psychology right so you know i want to be able to help you more i want to be more of a you know, if you use biblical terms, a help meet for you. So you don't have to manage all of this on your own. So show me how you pay the bills. Show me the spreadsheet. Show me how to do the banking, you know, or, or whatever it is. And definitely I, um, I encourage women to become financially literate. I mean, there, if, even if you don't have the money, there's so much free, there's so many free resources out there. There's no excuse at this point. Unless you are being watched 24-7, you can get resources, podcasts, books, books from the library. You don't even have to purchase books. Um, there's so many ways that you can get information to educate yourself because education is definitely the key because you don't know what you don't know. So if you spend that time to educate yourself then you can start to think okay well this doesn't sound right you know maybe i need to find out about this or this resource or that resource but if you just sit back and just stay in the dark about everything if something bad happens you're like stuck you're that like and, and before you know um, it, 40 years has passed yes and yeah, I have a lot of people that, you know, they come in and I'm like, how long has this been going on? They're like, well, you know, I just, he controlled the finances. I'm like, how long were you married? 57 years? What? Mm -hmm. But going yeah. going back, rewinding to something you said, um, asking to be involved, that that's really helpful if you have someone that's open to that. But a lot of times, depending on how intense the abuse is, you're going to have someone that's like, absolutely not. Exactly. Or, exactly. You're, or you're too terrified to ask. But exactly. I'm not saying you should, you, what I recommend is that you ask for something small. You say, oh, well, you know what? I'd really like to start keeping a budget. And then that's how you start slowly finding out how much things cost. You start slowly finding out how much the electricity costs. And then maybe after a few months of doing that, hey, can I have the login to the JEA, which is in Jacksonville, where who handles our utilities or whatever your local municipality utility company is. Or then you go, oh, well, can I have the password to this just so I can update the budget? You make that budget your baby. And one, it's beneficial in two ways, right? You're keeping a budget and now you're slowly creeping in that door of learning more about your household finances. Because the budget, even if you aren't in an abusive situation, is where healthy habits start. That's right. self-discipline. That is, I've found so far, the best way to kind of open that door and kind of, and you get in and, and you know, the person, I'm not gonna say the male, I was gonna say the male, it's not always a male, it's an abusive situation, but that person eventually is going to get used to you handling that small piece. And then maybe you ask for something a little more, like, hey, you know, we should really start, you know, opening accounts or contributing more to accounts for the kids, or we should start maybe saving some money for your for your mom's, you know, health when she starts going down because you know maybe you're not in a position to take care of them, and you just it might take a year 
It might take five, but every day you're taking steps forward to gaining back some control. And at the same time, the best way to learn and become financially literate is by working with your own finances. Actually doing a book's great, but for me, I have to do things to learn them. Yeah. I have to screw them up to learn them. That's one way. Another way, I've had uh, a, a, two clients that I told them you need to have your own money. You need to start doing something. They're like, okay, yeah, that's fine. I can start, you know, Uber eating or doing small things like that. But he watches the money like a hawk. Like he's gonna notice if he sends me an allowance and then I, you know, a hundred dollars of it's missing. He runs everything. Okay, well, he's not gonna notice five dollars missing. So eventually, you just right. like you keep it in cash. You don't put it in a bank account. But the the key here is. Because I made this mistake. I told someone to do this, they did this, they had a few thousand dollars saved, he found out, took it all out of the account. Have different bank accounts. Yes. Different companies, different logins. At least three. So that if he finds one, well, he only found 33.33% of it. You still have... <laughs> And I'm being so serious. I felt so bad when that happened. I was like, why didn't I tell her to do multiple accounts? You have multiple accounts. You split what you save into three and th it goes three different ways. So that those were my actionable items. I was, I'm sure you have more because this is your niche. <laughs> but I think, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, with where you're at now, you've clearly done some self-processing over your own financial abusive situation. What do you know now that you wish you knew then? That it starts, <clears throat> it starts small and it builds. So people don't just come out like as soon as you meet them and just say, oh, I'm just gonna be in control of everything. It's a gradual process usually. And so if I had known then what I know now, I would have nipped it in the bud when it started um, or I would have been a little bit more proactive and making sure that I knew certain things. And like you said, taking those little steps to be like, hey, no, I'll help with this or whatever, which, which I was doing, but anyway. <laughs> um, but definitely making sure that I, you know, just started from the beginning to make sure that I had a little bit more control. <clears throat> what were you saying? Um, just, <laughs> I think sometimes you can misread a situation. Um, you could think that someone is trying to take care of you when they're actually trying to control you. And sometimes you don't realize at first, but then you realize and you let it slide. So for instance, this is this is a tiny example, but for instance, if you say, okay, I'll pay this bill, and then that requires you to now, you know, get more employment or whatever, and the person, oh, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. No, 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 I, I'll, I'll pay it. I don't want you to go out and work or whatever. I don't want you to do this. And then like, okay, you know, trying to take care of me or whatever. And, um, you know, just realizing that, okay, you're, you're trying to own something. You're trying to be an adult about this and it's no harm in it. So why is the person like always like, Mm, no, it's okay. It's okay. So on one hand, they're like, oh, you don't help out. Da, 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 I got to do everything. And then the other hand, they're like, oh, no, no, that's okay. I'll take care of it. So just recognizing that that's totally off, you know, that behavior, that switch, that switching up situation, just being aware of that, that's definitely a red flag. If a person is just, you know, trying to, trying to make it seem as though, you should be doing more, but they won't let you do more. And so you're just kind of like, I don't know what I should be doing right now, but they're help, they're doing it, so it's it's fine type of thing. Um, I, I don't, hopefully that <laughs> answered your question. <laughs> just try not to be too specific. A couple, like I, 
one that I saw was if, if you have a vehicle, it was your vehicle going into the relationship and now they're trying to, oh, I'll pay for the insurance or I'll, you know, mm -hmm. I'll take over and they're put, taking your name off of something and putting their name on. I mean, they can, a good salesman can disguise That's it like. to look. <laughs> yeah, but they, I mean, if you really love someone and they're like, you know what, I'll pay for it. Let's just, I'll put it on my insurance. Well, now it's not your car. Now we, and I, with the same situation where I was trying to get them to Uber and Lyft and Uber Eats and all this stuff, it's not their car anymore. Right. So we couldn't do it. So I, I would exactly. say just, to, the, to your point, things that come off as romantic, you have to weigh, is this control? And you can usually tell if you dig a little deeper. If you're like, yeah. no, like I insist, like I, I wanna do this for me. And then they, the tone changes and like, no, I'm gonna do this. I mean, exactly. that I, I will, I remember the example of mine, again, mine wasn't financial abuse, but when I first started dating this person, we were in college and they asked what I was doing. And I was just in my dorm room reading a book. And then they asked if I, we wanted, if, if they could come by and I said, no. And in my back of my head, I was like, I really like this person. Like, wouldn't it be nice if they just like showed up? And they did, they just showed up at my dorm room. That's a huge red flag. <laughs> but like in my mind, I'm like, oh, like he really wants to see me. But if you are setting boundaries and that person is still doing that, then, and that translates across any abuse. So like in a financial right. situation, if you really want to keep things separate and they're telling you that that's not, you don't love me, if you're not gonna mm -hmm. let me take care of you. It's okay to be separate. I would say probably about half the couples that come into my office that are married are separate. It makes planning yeah. for them really freaking hard, but it's kind of, the, it's okay now. Um, those, those were little things that I've, that I noticed in my experience that I noticed in other people's situation. Also just like the way you argue with someone if they, if you're arguing with someone about finance, because that's a very common argument, right? I think that's the number one yes. or number two reason <laughs> divorce happens is finances. If they, if you're talking about finances and it's in an abusive situation, if you're the one who's trying to, if you're arguing about what, how little access you have, they tend to immediately resort to degrading commentary. Yes, like you wouldn't understand definitely. it even if you tried. You're not qualified. You don't. Have, well, how much experience do you have with mm -hmm. this? Or, or, or they list words that you don't. You clearly don't know. I mean, I've had it happen in my office mm -hmm. because I, I require if you're a married couple that both married couples come in together, either whether it's on Zoom or it's in person, at least the first appointment and then quarterly appointments after that. I would. I strongly encourage both couples are there because it tells me a lot about where I need to spend more time educating you. And women tend to live longer than men. So it puts me at a disadvantage if the woman is not trying because then that's more work for me when he passes away. Because now you gotta grieve and learn the encyclopedia of finance. Um, yeah. I mean, I could talk. It isn't. It isn't. I do a whole. I do a whole um, campaign of it every year of spreading awareness about financial abuse because it definitely isn't talked about enough. And I think that so many people go through it, and because it's not named, people don't don't even think that it's a thing or they don't recognize it as abuse. But it definitely is. It is. It is. The relationship and the husband or the significant other just doesn't know how to handle finances jointly. Maybe they didn't have a great example. Maybe they're not abusive, but they just grew up in a household where the man does it. I, I think right. that there, there's a difference between abuse and someone who just needs education. And exactly. you, you can tell which one it is when you bring it up. 
you can tell which one it is when when someone's in my office and I'm like, she needs to be involved in this conversation. Well, why? I do it all because I need her here and she needs to understand it. it it's, I think that the word financial abuse, although it is very common and exists, can deter people who are in a happy marriage or a happy relationship from addressing these unhealthy habits because they're saying, well, everything else is great, but it still needs to be a conversation. Yes. And I think that us as money professionals, if we sit with a couple, we can, we can try to get through to the other partner who is the more controlling one and allow them to see the importance of having their partner be a part of that conversation and be a part of managing the money. Like, like the example I gave earlier, if uh, he should pass away or she should pass away or not in a position to really help the family, that other person is going to really suffer as a result if they don't know where the money is or don't know how to do certain things with the money. I mean, I've seen that with very wealthy couples, you know, the woman is comfortable. She feels like, oh, he's a lawyer. He's making all this money. We live a comfortable life and everything. And then he passes away and it's like, oh man, he owed all this money. And now, now we don't have a house. Now I have to go live in a little apartment. And it's a whole thing because she, she wasn't a part of it. So she didn't know, you know, she didn't know that he was mismanaging the funds or she didn't know where to find certain things or, you know, there's just so many things that could happen. But if you're in a loving relationship and if you're making that decision to have one person do all of the financial planning and managing, having that conversation with a money professional and them telling you, hey, this is not really healthy. I really suggest that both of you take part. And then you're like, oh, no, no, no. That is definitely not a good thing. And that to me is abusive behavior. So even though they may they may feel like everything is going great, but if everything's going great, why can't your spouse or partner be a part of this? Why can't they also help? I mean, sometimes they they're fearful, you know? They're fearful sometimes because their partner has a spending problem or some other other problem. So there, there's different things and you can get to the root of it once you have conversations with people. And that's what I love about financial coaching and what we do, sitting down with people and really exploring what their issues are, because sometimes things are not black and white. You know, you may think, oh, you know, it's, it's this way. But then once you dig and you have those conversations, you may realize that things are more than what you think they are, you know, because you may be dealing with a situation where one of the partners is an alcoholic and so having them manage the money or have access, a certain amount of access to the money has hurt the family in the past so then certain things were, were done so you know it's worthwhile having those conversations and really digging to find out um you know what really is going on so that way you can advise them the best way but if you don't know then it will be really hard for you to help them wouldn't you agree and she's an only child and she's aware that when her parents become old enough to where you know they can't take care of themselves anymore you just gotta remember people are living longer but doesn't mean they're necessarily living better um <laughs> she's nervous because her father's an alcoholic and has a gambling problem and he's made some so we've made it a part of our plan to save for them so because she's not comfortable and that's not for everyone but she's not comfortable with you know, they've made bad decisions, but I'm in a position where I can save to help them. I'm not comfortable with just putting them in a home that whatever their social security can pay for, I would feel terrible. So we've we've talked about that. We found the root of that. She, she was able to talk to her parents and she didn't necessarily get all of the information that she wanted, like a wealth of information, but she got enough information to know that I'm not gonna lose anything by saving for them. If they don't end up needing it, it's still mine. So from a different perspective, wow. a different angle, I think if you're dealing with an older couple that maybe has an adult child, or maybe you're listening to this and your parents are in a similar situation, 
and you're in your 20s or 30s and you make good money, I would talk to your financial professional about preparing for that situation as well because it happens a lot. And I mean, you're taking care of your mom now. I don't know if that's something you've always planned to do, but a lot of people, they come in my office in their 20s or 30s and they're like, yeah, you know, it's their decisions, it's their life, they made them, they can live with them. It's really hard to go visit your parents in one of those homes where they're alone, everyone around them is dying. And, you know, they're in this room that's the size of, you know, a, a large walk-in closet. It, it's, it's hard to imagine putting your, your parent in there no matter what decisions they've made. That is true. That is true. But people do it every day. I mean, it's a personal situation. It is a personal situation, but if you're starting out early enough and it, if I'm posting this on social media, the demographic that's watching this, I'm guessing, is pretty young, we can try to change it one, one situation at a time because what we're talking about has plagued many generations. Yes. Certainly people will see this and, and have questions. Ruth, how, how can people reach you? What's the best way for them to reach out to you? Well, the best way for people to reach out to me is through Instagram or Facebook. So on Instagram, it's Women's Financial Empowerment, GRP. And on Facebook, it's Women's Financial Empowerment Group. So you could message me on Facebook or message me on Instagram. Those are the best ways to reach me. And I just want to say, um, Kendall, just piggyback on what you said, being prepared really makes a difference um and i think the younger the better so having those conversations with their parents ahead of time to find out where's the money because I, I remember having this conversation on clubhouse once you know parents not really sharing not really feeling comfortable talking about money with their with their youngsters and it, it's it's important because they're not going to be um, in the position to manage their finances forever. So they're going to need you to step it up and be able to do something. But the best time to plan is right now when, you know, everybody's still well, everybody's still able, you know, this is the best time. Starting before they're, before they're gone is, is, a, is a head start. <laughs> start, start now. And I've, I have found a lot less pushback than you might think from people that go, to their parents or their whoever's like a parent in their life and says, hey, I met with a financial advisor or a financial coach. I really just need to get a handle on what you have to prepare for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Because if if not, I wanna help you. I, I wanna help you. I wanna make sure that you're okay. And I can't do that if I don't have the knowledge to do so. And I've had luck so far. And if not, do it anyway. Oh, good. Do it anyway. You're not going to lose by doing it. Um, but okay, I will make sure I tag you when we post this. And I'll find okay. you on Facebook. And thank you so much. It was nice to finally see your face in an intimate setting. <laughs> not just in, in the comments. Um, very appreciative of you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I love what you're doing. Thank you. I do too. But uh, <laughs> I'll let you get some sleep. I'll talk to you later, Ruth. All right. Take care now. Bye-bye. And that's another episode of Failure Friday. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you tune in next time. If you'd like to be a guest, you can shoot me a DM and we'll see if you're a good fit. Have a good night, guys.